Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the moderator of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really informative discussion on the identification of distinct immune phenotypes in critically ill COVID-19 patients. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Duma as our guest, and we'll be discussing his article, The Identification of Distinct Immune Phenotypes in Critically Ill COVID-19 Patients. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Dr. Duma, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Guillaume Dumas, and I'm intensivist in the Medical Intensive Care Unit of St. Louis uh, Hospital in Paris. Great. So um, I really enjoyed reading your paper, and it deals on a really important uh, topic, that of COVID-19 patients with critical illness. And you decided to investigate the different immune phenotypes in patients with COVID-19. Maybe you could give us the rationale. Why was it so important for you to determine what immune phenotypes exist in critically ill COVID-19 patients? Yes, of course. Um, at the beginning of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic, like many clinicians, we, we were circumspect about uh, the clinical presentation uh, of the disease and the therapeutic um, possibilities. In fact, uh, we soon uh, realized that uh, it doesn't look at all like we have seen uh, before. Uh, also, um, as I think many people across the world uh, face with these patients, uh, we tried a, a large number of treatments, um, such as ELC um, broker, namely uh, tocilizumab, uh, antiviral therapy, and many others, um, first outside um, clinical trials, and then uh, by uh, including, uh, including our patients in trials uh, with very viable uh, efficacy. So we therefore wondered uh, whether also the cause of the underlying disease was the same, uh, a viral attack, in fact. Uh, there might be different predominant mechanisms which could possibly explain the, the clinical trajectory and uh, guide uh, our, the, the efficacy uh, of treatments. So that's very important, uh, the, the, the fact that we want to have um, therapeutics that are effective for uh, this disease. Maybe for the benefit of our audience, you could explain why would patients have different immune responses to the same virus? I mean, yes, there are different variants of the virus, but essentially it's the coronavirus. Why would different patients have different immune responses and why would it be important to determine that? Um, it's a very good and important question. But in fact... Uh Actually, uh, there is no uh, a clear response uh, of uh, why um, some patients um, uh, will have a, a, a very severe disease, uh, which led us in, led them in uh, the intensive care unit, and uh, uh, why the disease will, will be uh, mild or moderate uh, for others. Um, in, in this study, um, we, we hypothesized that um, uh, 
critically ill uh, COVID-19 patients uh, could be uh, biologically and immunologically uh, dissociable. Uh, also, uh, they had um, a severe uh, clinical presentation, and uh, this could uh, explain why uh, some of them uh, could respond to uh, differently uh, from um, different uh, treatments. So the rationale was that, uh, that we've seen a spectrum of uh, clinical severity in patients in the ICU. So let's go and find out uh, if there are any immune differences. So what were your study methods and how did they address any limitations of any prior studies? Yeah. So um, at the time uh, of the, this study design, um, pretty, pretty <clears throat> Preliminary uh, reports uh, suggest um, a key role for the exaggerated inflammatory response, uh, notably the elevation of uh, interleukin-6 and uh, what was later called the uh, cytokine storm. Uh, however, uh, there was a, a limited number of studies was sought to identify clusters according to various uh, immunological parameters uh, involved as a therapeutic targets. Therefore, uh, we uh, hypothesize that this patient could be uh, uh, dissociable, uh, and to do that, we uh, included all uh, consecutive patients admitted to uh, our ICU between March and uh, April. Uh, so that is so-called the, the first wave, in fact, uh, for severe uh, SARS-CoV-2-related infection. Uh, so in addition to demographic data, we collected uh, routine blood examinations, uh, including uh, the blood count, uh, coagulation profile, and gamma globulin levels, and uh, we also analyzed um, several uh, inflammatory cytokines uh, like uh, EL6, EL1, EL8, and TNF-alpha, uh, together with uh, the complement and uh, its um, circulating fraction, namely uh, the citra and the solid uh, C5B9. Uh, we therefore performed um, a statistical method called uh, principal component uh, analysis, uh, including including a, a set of uh, this biological data, um, and uh, from uh, this PCA, we derived um, we applied uh, a hierarchical uh, cluster analysis uh, based on the first dimensions of this, the, the PCA, and we use <clears throat> this method to determine subgroups uh, of patients uh, according to uh, this uh, biological and uh, immunological uh, data. Uh, so this method was performed uh, without any a priori uh, criteria, uh, instead of, uh, of course, uh, the selections of the, the variable used uh, in, uh, in the model. Well, was there any other previous data on um, the, the, regarding this topic uh, in the literature before you started uh, your study? Uh, on um, on uh, the the, the K-wall of uh, interleukin, yes. Uh, some reports uh, uh, have. Um, Underline, uh, I highlighted the, the, the key role of, uh, um, lymphopenia and, uh, and maybe, and there are, um, some reports about, uh, uh, uh a possible efficacy of, uh, eculizumab, uh, 
on the the complement pathway. So uh, that's why we we chose uh, this um, this um, this set of uh, the logical data. So what were your findings? Um, what were the key findings, and how did you interpret them? Yeah. So uh, during um, the study period, we included uh, 96 uh, critically ill patients, uh, and based on the, the method uh, that I have previously uh, described, we were able to uh, identify three uh, subgroups or cluster uh, of patients who bear a similar clinical characteristic at ICU admission, but um, some different uh, immunological profile. Uh, the first cluster, um, we found patients who presented a, a significant uh, alteration of the humoral response, which accounted for 35% uh, of our cohort. This patient exhibited a, a profound uh, lymphopenia, mainly on B cells, uh, associated with uh, hypogamma globulinemia. Um, in the second cluster, uh, which accounted for near 20% of our cohort, uh, we find patients who present a severe uh, inflammatory uh, reaction close to uh, the so-called cytokine storm, uh, as it has been previously described, uh, with uh, the highest pro-inflammatory cytokine values compared to the other clusters. Um, this group uh, had also uh, the highest number of patients who require uh, invasive mechanical ventilation and, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, non-survivors. And the, the last clusters exhibit um, a pattern of dependency on the terminal complement pathway with elevated citrofection and uh, solid membrane uh, attack complex. Uh, and interestingly, uh, also, uh, it was not significant uh, in our cohort. Uh, this group had a high rate of thromboembolic events. Um, so taken together, uh, our finding highlights that uh, not all severe COVID-19 patients will bear um, similar clinical characteristics, have the same uh, immunological profile, and may not benefit from target uh, therapies in the same way, and therefore uh, will not be uh, eligible for uh, the same target uh, intervention. Um, for uh, example, um, in... Uh, our institution. Uh, we believe that patients belonging to the cluster one, that is uh, uh, those with uh, a defect of uh, humoral response, um, are more likely to benefit from plasma uh, therapy and were treated uh, in this way. Um, and we still use tocilizumab uh, in patients who exhibit an, an impaired uh, inflammatory profile. That is uh, the those in, in the second uh, cluster. So that's pretty impressive findings. Uh, the fact that you had three distinct groups: the humoral deficiency group, the hyperinflammatory group, and the um, complement dependent group. Um, as you alluded to, uh, the fact that you found three different groups may imply that therapies may not work for all of them. My question is: How would you rapidly identify these groups? Um, in the real-world setting. You had the benefit of doing yeah. your study in a uh, um, uh, where these results became available over time. How would I, as a clinician, rapidly identify these patients? What's the turnaround time for these tests to become available? 
Um, in our institution, uh, so so to uh, to perform uh, our analysis, we use um, biological data, uh, which could be uh, available. Um, I think in most of uh, centers um, in our institution, um, the cytokine dosage is um, available. Um, I think in 24 or 48 hours, um, the dimer in few hours, um, and I think we on on simple uh, biological data, we can identify uh, approximately uh, the, the cluster in for a given patient. So the t- turnaround time, you say, could range between two hours and 48 hours. Um, yeah. On average, uh, what would it be? And uh, is that enough time to initiate a therapy um, if you're waiting for 24 <laughs> or 48 hours? Different question. Um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I, I, I understand that um, in, in such case, um, time is life, and maybe uh, we have to be prone to uh, to uh, to block uh, a given pathway. Um, but today. Uh, at the time of um, the knowledge about uh, COVID-19, I think it's difficult to uh, to, um, to classify uh, uh, patients uh, as soon as uh, they are needed uh, uh, at the hospital or emergency room. Uh, so we uh, give treatments on uh, on the. Um, data uh, available at the, uh, the time or uh, the few hours uh, after I see your admission. So uh, during the first 24 hours, um, uh, I'm not sure it's uh, the, um, the best way, but uh, it's um, um, acceptable, in fact, I think. Gotcha. And then you mentioned the three distinct groups. Did you see any overlap? Did some patients have both a components of a hyperinflammatory and a complement dependent uh, a picture or did some have just one or did some have all three yes the, 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 of course uh, in all of these methods uh, it's difficult to have uh, to observe a, a clear cut uh, about uh, um, <clears throat> across the, um, the, the distinct uh, phenotypes but uh, um, the the main characteristic of uh, uh, such cluster is uh, clearly uh, uh, predominant, uh, in particular for the the uh, cytokine levels uh, and um, and uh, the lymphocyte defect. Gotcha. And uh, you mentioned that um, the data was obtained on patients who arrived in the ICU. So these were really ICU patients. And some may raise the concern that, you know, maybe this is too late. Maybe the damage is already done. The patient is already on the path uh, for this uh, um, uh, inflammatory process. Maybe we should have data that's earlier. And we've definitely seen that in the greatest benefit for um, 
corticosteroids and um, uh, tocilizumab is in those who were on oxygen but not yet critically ill or in the ICU. Do you think maybe yeah. it would be useful to uh, study that group of patients uh, using the same uh, methods you used here? Yes, of course, uh, and it's probably the future of the uh, of research. Um, the this study uh, uh, highlights. Uh, um, uh, sorry, um, this study was effectively only on uh, the most severe patient at the time of ICU admission, and uh, it could be of very uh, in great interest to uh, to um, to identify. Uh, uh, Certainly, uh, this uh, this uh, this patient and uh, who uh, who uh, uh, who who will get worse quickly. Uh, but uh, to my knowledge, there is no data uh, available uh, uh, now uh, about uh, about uh, this. Some studies yeah, um, are focused on on, uh, on large panel of uh, COVID-19 patients uh, treated in, out of the hospital, but uh, uh, none have uh, have identified uh, uh, clear uh, marker to uh, to uh, to uh, to identify uh, which patient uh, will quickly get worse. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths of the study, the fact that it's identified um, yeah. uh, these three subgroups. Um, so what studies are you planning in the future? Um, based on this study, it would appear that you could uh, start determining whether certain therapeutics work in certain groups better than others. Um, are those your plans? And what other studies do you have in mind? Yes, actually, uh, we are focused on the, the uh, IRDS feature, in particular uh, the the, the care role of uh, epithelial lung injury uh, in these patients. Uh, we uh, perform some uh, uh, dosage of uh, uh, endothelial and uh, epithelial lung uh, aggression, uh, and uh, we we are working uh, on this feature currently. Perfect. And um, in terms of your limitations, what are the limitations that you note in uh, your study, and which uh, limitations should future studies address? Yeah. First, um, this study uh, on generates hypotheses, and uh, our conclusion were limited due to uh, our small sample size, uh, near 100 patients, and need to be uh, validated. Uh, but However, uh, more recent studies highlight the fact that the severe COVID-19 uh, infection mechanisms are plural uh, with um, various pathways, such as an inflammatory response driving by uh, EL6 and GMCSF, uh, as recently demonstrated in an article published, I think, in Science Immunology, or the involvement of uh, interference. But uh, not only... Uh, Endotheliopathy, for example, is probably a, a key feature, and we did not address uh, this, this question uh, in our study. 
second, uh, we performed uh, our study uh, during the first wave uh, on the more severe patients and at the time of uh, ICU uh, admission. Also, uh, our findings were we were not able to, to generalize uh, our funding to all patients with COVID-19 infection, whatever the clinical severity, and to address uh, the important question of uh, how this profile uh, could change uh, over time. Uh, as the same, uh, we did not have um, a control group with uh, uh, patients uh, infected by uh, another virus, uh, such as uh, Influenza, for example. Uh, and last, I think um, 16 patients of uh, our cohort were still receiving uh, immunosuppressive therapy for cancer or solid organ transplantation and could represent uh, a particular group uh, from an immunological point of view. Um, but uh, when we perform sensitivity uh, analysis uh, excluding this patient, um, they led to the same results. Yeah, I think you highlight the importance of um, the fact that the immune system can change and uh, the, you obviously are able to get the testing at initial ICU admission, uh, but uh, it would be beneficial to have serial testing to see if uh, the, this pattern is enduring. So, yeah. um, uh, what do you think your clinical findings uh, mean, and how do they advance the research of uh, COVID-19 patients with critical illness? So, uh, <clears throat> I think this study uh, was uh, one of the first to raise the hypothesis that despite a, a clinical overlap, uh, critically ill COVID-19 patients have uh, heterogeneous profile, and that. Uh, as uh, for other uh, pathologies, uh, it is uh, illusory uh, to think that um, a single strategy can be effective for all patients. Uh, it's likely that uh, personalizations of treatments or combinations of therapies uh, allowing the, the blocking of uh, several uh, predominantly involved pathways may allow the improvement uh, of the pronosis. Um as the same, uh, I think our findings highlight that uh, clinical trials might might, might be uh, analyzed uh, based on this uh, biological heterogeneity uh, before uh, concluding on the, the clinical facility of uh, a treatment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of heterogeneity, and uh, identifying that heterogeneity is really important. Um, Dr. Duma, you, you've taken some time to, to speak to our audience about um, your study and the preparation that you did for it and your findings. Is there anything that we haven't covered in this podcast that you definitely would like them to know? Um, and would you like to leave us with any concluding remarks? Um, no, I think uh, I would like to, to thank um, the chess organization for staff for uh, their invitation and um, I hope the future months uh, will be uh, more quiet and uh, for all of uh, our community. Yes, and thank you very much for your work and for uh, advancing the science and identifying these uh, distinct immunophenotypes. A very big thank you to Dr. Dumas for a stimulating conversation and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is the Chess Podcast. 